Well, you know, it's obligatory for every visiting preacher to say how glad he is to be wherever he is. And then there are other places where you genuinely are glad to be. And that's the case here. I'm so glad to be with you today. I can tell that the Lord is up to some things around here. Boy, congratulations on this worship center that you have. What a nice, nice facility. But most of all, congratulations for the pastoral family that God has sent you. Uh, I can tell that, that God has a plan for you, and something's up and your future is bright. It has been a joy for me to get to spend a little bit of time with your pastor, and it's always good to sit with a pastor whose spirit of uh, just that genuine spirit just draws you into what it is that he's doing and who he is. So, Dr. Nish, thank you so much, brother. It's a privilege for me to be here with you and your people and in your pulpit. I I appreciate that. Ja fale con Fernanda Oji. I have already spoke to Fernanda. Where did she go? Fernanda, she, she, oh, that's right. She told me she had something to do. So she's out, but I spoke with her, and she told me about her journey across the United States of America from Denver to New Hampshire, finally to the Deep South. And she told me what a difference it makes being here as opposed to other areas. And what that is is Southern hospitality. And boy, it does make a difference. Uh, uh, Southern hospitality and Brazilian culture just go hand in hand because Brazilians are some of the most hospitable and some of the most loving people I've ever encountered anywhere on the planet. So I can see where she's just uh, eating it up being here with you guys. Now, Heather and I, since 2007, have been the executive directors of Link Up Missions. Uh, Link Up is an acronym that stands for Linking International Needs with the Church's Untapped Power. You see, we believe that God has given the authority of the Great Commission to the local church. The local church is primary in fulfilling the Great Commission. He did not give it primarily to a mission, a mission board or to a denomination or to a convention, but he gave it to the local church. And as Southern Baptists, we have about 45,000 local churches. But we only have about 5,000 international missionaries employed with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, if we are going to reach this world and finish this task that Jesus gave us more than, or right about 2,000 years ago to do, then it just seems logical that we are going to have to mobilize the greater number of us, and the greater number of us is represented in the 45,000 churches across this nation that make up our convention. You see, we can't depend on 5,000 international missionaries while 45,000 churches kind of sit idle from frontline global mission work. So our primary role in, in reaching this world for Christ is mobilizing local churches. We are not funded by the International Mission Board, but we are a global partner of them, and we serve as their connectors for people such as the Quilombolas of Brazil, which is the responsibility of Heather and I as missionaries. It's been our joy to see what God does in local churches when local churches become connected with an unreached, sometimes unengaged people group. It's amazing the transformation that takes place not only there on the field, but what happens right here at home in a local church. 
We have two churches that are connected with the Quilombolas of Brazil right here in the Gulf Coast Baptist Association. One of them is Michael Memorial Baptist Church, and the other is Bel Air. We're going to have uh, people from both of those churches here with us tonight, from Michael Memorial and Bel Air. And I've asked them to take about three minutes and just share from their perspective what this international cross-cultural partnership engaging these unreached people has, has meant in their life personally, in their church, and, uh, and in their family. So it'll be interesting to hear from them tonight from their perspectives. I hope you come back. My plan this morning is just to let the preacher come out in me, and tonight we'll talk more specifically about our strategy and about how it is we practically connect churches and how we facilitate a partnership whereby local churches become the missionary, not missionary support, but the missionary responsible for taking the gospel to people who have never heard of Jesus Christ. So we'll start all that tonight at 6 p.m. and then conclude with a prayer time. Today, I want to invite you to find your place with me in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. Psalm number 96 is where we are going to be today. You know, as prominent as missions figure in to the Gospels and the New Testament, interesting to see that missions really were not born with the advent of the New Testament. Missions exist because God exists. It flows from His nature, flows from His identity. So we as His people also have a missionary identity. And if we don't, it really is a distortion of the image of God within us. It's interesting to me to see how missions are described in the Old Testament almost as if it were part of the new. Psalm number 96 is where we are. I want to read this entire psalm for us today. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 1 of Psalm 96, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing for joy before the Lord for He is coming. For He's coming to judge the earth and He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Well, right here in the middle of the Old Testament and the book of Psalms, the worship book for the ancient people of Israel, 
we find missions described in detail. Almost as if it were coming from the pages of the New Testament itself. Now, before we really begin to unwrap this psalm, I want to point out some things to you about the structure of this psalm. We can tell just by precursory reading that it really does have a missionary flavor. And it was probably used in the worship of ancient Israel to remind them of of their responsibility and privilege to be a light unto the nations and tell of the greatness of God among those people who lived outside the knowledge of Yahweh God. But notice, I mean, it's, it, it's structured like a good hymn, almost like a hymn that we would find on the pages of our Baptist hymnal today. Look at it. It's really broken down into three stanzas. Verses 1 through 6 make up the first stanza. Verses 7 through 10 make up the second. And then 11 through 13 conclude the song. Now, notice some things about these stanzas. For instance, you'll see that each stanza starts with a threefold refrain. For example, verse number 1 starts out, Sing, sing, sing. And then stanza number 2 follows suit in verses 7 and 8 and 9. Ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. And then notice with me, you see the pattern developing in verse 11. Let, let, let. Now, here's something that's interesting about that threefold refrain. You'll notice that the first two stanzas, the verbs are in kind of a a strong form. It's almost as if they are imperative. Well, indeed, they are imperative. They're telling us what it is that we are to do. For example, in the first stanza, we are to sing, sing, sing. That's a command given to us. Stanza number two, the next command is ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. Or we could say give, give, give unto the Lord. Now, when we come to the, to the last stanza, we see that the verbs take a less forceful tone. It's kind of the subjunctive mood of this Hebrew verb, and it comes through in our English translations as let, let, let. Now, here's the implications of that. The implications is, if we are faithful to do what's commanded of us in sing, 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 and give, 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 then what's promised in the last stanza will come to fruition. You see, the last three, or the last stanza, those last three verbs are contingent upon the fulfillment fulfillment of the imperative verbs in the first two stanzas. And boy, look at the things that the Bible says will come to fruition if we are faithful to do what is commanded of us. Now, having put that broad structure out before you, let's dive into this thing a little bit deeper, and let's just see the detail that Psalm 96 describes missions with. There are just a few things I want to say this morning, so I'm not going to keep you long, but I do want to get to the heart of this psalm and to the heart of what it is that God is communicating to us as His church through this ancient hymn. Number one, I want you to see that this psalm gives for us the focus of missions. And the focus of missions is quite different from what we might think. This psalm tells us that the focus of missions is Godward. In other words, missions exist primarily for and to and because of God. Now, let me show you this in this passage. Notice what the Bible says, and 
you may want to underline some of these words. Notice what it says in verse 1. Sing unto who? Sing to the Lord. Remember, it's a missionary hymn. Sing to Yahweh or to the covenant-keeping God. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Look in verse number 2. Sing to the Lord and bless. Here's another pronoun that you may want to underline that emphasizes the Godwardness of this hymn and of missions. Bless His name. Verse 2b. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation. Verse number 3, tell of His glory. Verse number 3, His wonderful deeds. Verse number 4, for great is the Lord. Verse number 4, He is to be feared. Verse number 5, but the Lord made the heavens. Verse number 6, splendor and majesty are before Him. You can go right on through this hymn and you can see that its focus and its import is very much Godward. Now that's interesting because again, this by nature is a missionary hymn. It's a missionary psalm. Now you guys are probably a little bit sharper than I am, but it took me a long time to get that. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of ashamed to say that I earned three degrees from Southern Baptist colleges and seminaries. I pastored for about 10 years before this truth ever dawned on me. But can I say to you, when this truth came home to me, it literally changed the direction of my life and my ministry. You see, this is what I always thought missions was about. I always thought that missions was about man. And the reason we go is because there are people on this planet who are living and dying outside the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I can remember sitting in missions classes in seminary and having someone who was going to be a future missionary give the devotion for the day. And they would always try to put guilt upon me by saying it sure is funny that most of you say you're called to minister in a land where 80% of the world's population of Christians already lives while the rest of the world is without the knowledge of Christ. And they would say, don't you know there are people living and dying without the gospel? And can I just be honest with you? That didn't motivate me to be a missionary. As a matter of fact, Dr. Owen, that turned me off from being a missionary. There was just something that didn't resonate with me about that whole approach. So as a pastor, for most of my ministry, oh, I talked about missions, I preached about missions, I promoted Lottie Moon, I did all of that because Lord knows it's not spiritual if you don't. Or it's not spiritual if if you don't promote those things and at least tip our hat toward missions. But one day, God got a hold of my heart over this truth. That the reason we go is not primarily because men are lost, but the reason we go is because God is worthy. You see, God is worthy of the praise of people who presently do not know Him. Did you see what this psalm said? It said, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Can I ask you just how great is God? And can I ask you, just how much praise is he worthy of? And the answer is this. Our great and majestic creator God of all that is, is worthy of all the praise from every man, woman, boy, and girl who's ever been born from the inception of this 
plan it until the time that he folds it up like a scroll. That's just how great our God is. How many voices is he worthy of in the heavenly choir? You see, that's the question. So this is what missions became for me. Missions became for me not some humanitarian act where we went out of pity and feeling sorry for people who lived in places where the gospel was not and things like electricity and running water were not. It went from that to being very theological. And it went to becoming, if I don't do this, I am not being true to the God who lives above me and who is within me because he is a great God and he's mighty to be praised, mighty to save and and to be greatly praised. That is what missions is about. So this is what missions became. You You know what we really are doing in missions? In missions, we are simply collecting more worshipers unto this great God who is worthy of their worship. Because he's worthy. We are just building the choir, adding more voices to the song of praise that will ring out throughout the centuries in honor of this God who is greatly to be praised. One of my favorite historical missionaries, historical personalities was a missionary named Hudson Taylor. And I remember that one of his uh, books recalls an account, one of his biographies of having a, a gentleman with him from the U.S. in inland China. And the man was taken back at the situation and the context in which Dr. Taylor was ministering. He looked at Dr. Taylor and he said this. He said, Dr. Taylor, you must really love these people in order to do this. And without missing a beat, Dr. Taylor looked at him and said, it has nothing to do with my love for these people. It has everything to do my love for God. And you see, that's the difference. That's the motivation. That's the focus of missions. Oh yeah, we do go to reach men, but I want you to know that first and foremost, the focus of missions is Godward. That's why a lot of times in the jungles of Brazil, we'll just get under a mango tree, somebody will start strumming a guitar, and we'll start worshiping. And you know what will happen? It'll draw a crowd. Because there's something about the worship of God that is a witness even to people who do not even know him. It's amazing what will happen when you put the focus on God Almighty. And didn't Jesus himself say, if I be lifted up, what did he say he'll do? I'll draw all men unto myself. I'll never forget when we were just rookie missionaries in Brazil. We were going out to this place that, as far as we know, nobody had ever been. We'd seen it on the map. We'd heard stories about it. And one day we were going to go. So Dr. Owen, we... We rented us two trucks that were the best that we could find where we were. They were four-wheel drive, and uh, they sat high up off the ground, and they had a breather, an air breather that came out, ran up the windshield, went way up in the air. And I wondered, what are those for? Well, I had that question answered very quickly. We started going out to this place called Travosa. And on the way, we would, we would go through rivers with those four-wheel drives. And I'm telling you the truth, the water was so deep until some of our equipment that was in the back of the truck floated out of the bed. That's how deep the water was. The only way she could breathe was through that snorkel that she had way up there in the air. And we came to one place, and uh, our guide told us that there's going to be some big sand traps up here, but 
No problem. We can navigate these sand traps. They're going to be about 200 meters long each. So we got us a plan. And you guys know, I mean, being right here on the beach, South Mississippi, you know the cardinal rule in driving in sand. Somebody said it. Say it again. Don't stop. So we told our, our, our two Brazilian drivers, we told them what we were going to do. We said, the first truck is going to start, and it's going to ease across this sand bed. And when the, uh, the first truck gets across, then the second truck can start. But we don't want to have both trucks in this sand bed at the same time, so if the unexpected happens. So the first truck starts across the sand bed, and something, I don't know what happened to this day, but something happened, and the driver committed the unpardonable sin of sand. <laughs> he stopped. And when he stopped, you know the rest of the story. That truck, as equipped as it was, was no match for sand, and it just went down. Well, we're okay, not a problem, because we got a second truck waiting for us at the front of for some reason that I still don't know today, the second driver didn't follow instructions. And there was no way for him to get around the first truck. It was stuck in the middle of the road. He was pinned in. And we sat there and we watched with horror because we knew when that second truck came to the bumper of the first truck, he was done. So here we are in the middle of uncharted territory in the jungle of northeast Brazil with two four-wheel drives with snorkels above the windshields that are buried in sand. There's nothing we can do. I mean, we tried everything. There was nothing we could do. We were wondering what's going to happen. It started getting dark, and there was about eight or nine of us, and one of the guys that was with us just happened to be a worship leader. And while the rest of us were fretting and trying to figure this thing out because night was falling, that boy who was a worship leader just went in and got his guitar out of the truck, and he sat on the hood of that pickup truck, and he started playing. And he started playing songs, and he started singing two God. And while he was playing, what happened is that spirit just grabbed the entire missionary team and another guy walked up there, quit digging, and went up there and started singing with him. Before long, the entire mission team was there at the hood of that truck and we were having, listen to me, a Holy Ghost worship experience. You know what I'm saying? And we were caught up in it, and it seemed like everything disappeared except what we were doing as we were worshiping, and we began to notice something. We began to notice out around the edge of the sand trap, the bushes began to move. And we began to look, and we could make out faces peering through the bushes, and we thought, oh, no. What's about to happen? Who are these people, and what are they going to do to us? Uh, we didn't know. We, may, we thought we might look like supper to them. We didn't know what to do, so we just kept on singing. And the more we sang, the closer they would get. They stepped out of the bushes onto the sand, and for long, they were around the trucks with us. So we began to do it in Portuguese where they could understand. And we come to a stopping place. One of the guys who was the obvious leader of those folk who came out of the bush wanted to know who we were and what we were doing. And we told him who we were, where we were going, what our purpose was. And we said, but we got a problem. We can't go anywhere because we got two trucks that are stuck horribly in this sand. And this is what he said. I'll never forget it without missing a beat. He looked around and he said, I think there's enough of us here now to push you out. And they got all behind those trucks and they pushed us out of the sand trap. Now listen, this is what God taught. God taught me something that day in that sand trap, brother. 
He taught me that when you keep the focus on him, he takes care of the incidentals. Listen, God very literally delivered us because we worshipped him regardless of our circumstances. Now, I got to thinking, what would have happened if we would have done what we normally do? Sat down and just got all mule-lipped and said, God, here we are out here in the middle of the jungle. And we're out here away from our home, away from our family. We're out here for you trying to take the gospel to people who don't know. And here we are stuck. Can't you do something to get us out of here? You know where we'd still be? You could probably go there and find our skeletons right in that sand trap, huh? Well, let me tell you something. That type of whining doesn't attract the soul. As a matter of fact, it repulses people. Do you want to hang out with a whiner? I just soon not. I do enough myself. I don't need anybody else around me helping me with it, you know? But son, when we started worshiping, God himself drew our deliverance to the sand trap. That's the heart of missions. Missions is Godward. Number next, and we're running. Not only does this psalm tell us that missions, the focus of missions is Godward, but this psalm tells us that the field of missions is global. It's global. Look at this. I want to point out some more words that you may want to underline if you mark it in your Bible. Look in verse number one. There's the word earth. Then look in verse number three. There's the word nations. Verse number three, again, there's the word peoples. Verse number five, there is peoples. Verse number seven, there is families. Then you see what he's talking about here, and and these specific Hebrew words refer to people who live outside the knowledge of God. Now, this is is the question that I have to ask. Dr. Neese, wherever I go, most of the time in the process of mobilizing a church, I have to answer this question. Somebody will say, Brother Richie, Why do we have to go to the ends of the earth? There are lost people right here in our own community. And sure, there are lost people right here in Waveland, Bay St. Louis, Past Christianity. I mean, there's a drove of them. So have you ever thought of that? Why does the church spend all these energies and these efforts and resources going to the uttermost parts of the earth when there's lost people right here? A lot of people think about that. This gives us the answer. Here's the key word. If you get nothing else today, get this. Why do we go? And where do we go? The key word is access. Access. We go to unreached people groups where there is no access in their culture to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means if somebody there wanted to hear today, they couldn't. You know why? Because there's no gospel witness. There's no church. There's no radio preacher. There's nobody on TV. There's nothing. Those are the people to whom we go. One of the greatest missionaries in history, David Livingston, said this. He said, nobody deserves to hear the gospel twice until everybody has heard it once. You see, that's the difference. Now, let's bring that back into our context here in the Bible Belt, the southern part of the United States. And let's look at it from the standpoint of access. Do you know that this culture is saturated with the gospel? As a matter of fact, this morning, if a person did not want to hear the gospel, he had to take evasive action to avoid it. Isn't that right? I mean, so I'm thinking, there's a Baptist church almost on every other corner, and the corners in between have a Methodist or an Episcopal or a Presbyterian or or something of that nature. So you can't drive without bumping into a church. 
if you get in your car and turn your radio on and hit scan, you, can't, you won't scan very long until you come across a gospel radio station with a preacher and with songs exalting the Lord. Am I right? Uh, if you go out somewhere and you go into a, a restaurant, you're nor- normally going to find gospel tracks in the laboratories and all over the places. You stay in a hotel and open the nightstand, what do you find? You find a Gideon Bible. You understand there is nobody. Oh, there are lost people here, but there's nobody here without access to the gospel. And that's the difference. That's why we go. That's the places. We're taking churches, and we're saying, give us your hand, and let us join your hand with people who have no access to the gospel. And watch God light a fire through your witness, and now they are worshiping this great God who's worthy of their praise. Number next, we're running, we're running. I'm almost done. Not only is the field of missions global, But friend, the freshness of missions is gratifying. It's fresh. I mean, it just brings a fresh wind. I believe if revival is going to come to the church again in the United States of America, it's going to come through the window of global missions. Notice what this psalm says. Verse number one, sing to the Lord what kind of song? What kind of song? A new song. You know why? Because there's something about missionary involvement that just exposes us to a dimension and an element and an attribute of God that we've never seen before. And when we encounter God in a fresh way, do you know what it inspires us to do? Sing. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Do you know our hymn book is filled with hymns? And do you know what era they came from in Christian history? They came from the era of greatest missionary expansion in modern history. And we're still singing those hymns. I'm telling you, you'll see new things that just absolutely blow you away. Brother, can you bring up that picture? I got a picture up here. I want to show you one thing that just blew me away. We we were on the field in June and uh, hadn't been home long. We're going back again in two weeks. We'll we'll be down uh, for most of the the rest of the year. This place right here, and about the only thing you can see is my shirt, ain't it? (laughs) Wonder why. This place right here is called Entre Hughes. In Portuguese, it means between the rivers. In 2008, we started working there. It's an unreached Quilombo village, no, no witness to Jesus Christ whatsoever. We went there and we sent one of our best trained pastors that we trained through our pastoral training program in Brazil. We sent him out there. He labored there for about 14 months, and those people basically rejected us. They said, we have our own religion. They, were, they had their witch doctor. They had their beliefs. So we made a decision, a command decision. We pulled our resources out of that village. We shook the dust off our feet like Jesus said in Luke 9, and we left it. Now, I haven't thought of that village again until June of this past summer. I was in my hometown of Cururupu, Maranhão, Brazil, and a man came to me and he said, Are you Pastor Richie? I said, Yes, I am. He said, I'm so-and-so from Entre Hughes, and our chief sent us up here to talk to you because we now want you to come back. We're interested in what you tried to tell us five years ago. I said, what? So I sent one of my Brazilian partners out there. I said, man, I don't know what's going on, but go out there and find out if they're serious. Is this a trick? Is it a trap? What's going on? So he goes out and he comes back and he says, pastor, I don't know what's going on. He said, these folks seem to be serious. I had a team on the field with me then. I had a team from Bel Air Baptist Church, Gulfport, Mississippi. And I told them, I said, we got something to do. I said, y'all load up. We're going out to Entry Hill. What? What? Where's Entry Hill? I said, just come on with me. I went out there and listened. The entire village was gathered together. The whole village. And I was so overcome, brother. I got, out of, I got out of the vehicle and I said, all I could say in Portuguese was, what happened here? 
And of course, these people have no gospel knowledge. They don't have a Bible. They don't have, so they didn't know what I was even asking. But I couldn't get over the difference from when they rejected us to now the whole village is there saying, come. Do you see this lady sitting right in front of me? She was the only one that embraced the gospel in 2008. She is 78 years old. When I sat there, when I stood there and began to talk to her people and try to, uh, try to understand what had went on, because it was just like I was walking in the pages of the New Testament. It was a people group movement, an entire village coming to faith. And as I sat there and I tried to assess the situation, she began to cry, and she cried so hard until she just convulsed. I had to get one of our missionaries to come literally hold her in the chair. Now, here's what happened. That one faithful lady who was the only one in the village that received the gospel in 2008. When we left out of there, she realized that the light was retreating and it was darkness. And she has prayed every day for her people. And that day she came to, she saw her prayers come to fruition. And son, I want to tell you something. It was just one of those Holy Spirit moments that I'm not over yet. It taught me several things. Number one, never underestimate the effectual prayer of a righteous man or woman. That entire village is coming to faith. Just some of the fresh things that we're seeing almost on a daily basis. Hey, man, I invite you to come. Get some of this freshness with us. Notice what else, and this is my last thing, and I close. The freshness of missions is gratifying, but finally, the future of missions is glorious. Now, I don't know how to tie all this out, but look at the last verse. See, this is what, that, what the purpose of all those verbs are, the imperatives, and then going down to the subjective, subjunctive. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Now, you understand that's metaphor. Uh, trees can't clap their hands. Trees can't sing. But nonetheless, it talks about what takes place when Christ and His reign and His Lordship sweeps over a people? There's a difference. There's a difference. And Dr. Neese, I don't really know how to put it all together, but I know this. There's several places in the Bible where the Bible connects missions, worship, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. I don't know how it all fits. I'm not that smart. I don't need to be. I just know, know that there's a connection somehow or another. And look at this. This is exactly what's going on here. I mean, this ancient writer, he talked about the Lord is coming. He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the peoples in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Verse number 10, he will judge the peoples with equity. It's almost as, this, as, if, as if this ancient hymn writer caught up in the grandeur of God and the ultimate purpose of missions, he looked prophetically into the future, he went all the way past the first coming of Christ when he came as a suffering, humble servant, and he foresaw the second coming. And somehow or another, he tied that with missions. Now listen, I, I really am not postulating an eschatology here like post-millennialism or anything like that, but I am saying, seems to be a connection between the two. Jesus himself said, Matthew 24, and this gospel shall be preached in all the earth as a testimony unto me, and then what? Then the end will come. And you know what I find today? I find a lot of people that are weary. Man, it's easy to be weary of what's going on in our world. You look around, see that ISIS or ISIL is just murdering, and they're vicious, and they're slaughtering people. 
in the name of Mohammed. You see economies falling. You see nations going bankrupt. You see disease and pestilence. And it's, man, it just makes us weary. You know what we cry out? Oh, Lord Jesus, come. We pray that Maranatha prayer. God, it would suit me if you'd come today. And if Brother Richie don't hurry up and quit preaching, you might come before he's done. But listen, really, if we want him to come, then we need to get going. Because somehow or another, there's people out there that he wants to bring into the kingdom. And Peter describes it pretty well in his book. That's the patience of the Lord. It's delaying. But I think the cliche is, he's not coming until we get going. When we get going, man, look out. Because the eastern sky could split open at any moment. Hey, I invite you. Come to the front lines of global missions and experience the freshness of God. And it'll be gratifying like nothing you've ever tasted. Change my world change my life. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven.